Hi, I'm Tim Sonova, and welcome to Work Shouldn't Suck Live, the morning-ish show. On today's episode, Lauren Ruffin and I are joined by Gail Kreider. Gail currently serves as the president and CEO of NAS, an organization dedicated to providing training and support for arts and culture leaders. Over the years, NAS has partnered with leading schools and scholars around the world to deliver programs like their chief executive program. Creative Community Fellows, and the Executive Program in Arts and Culture Strategy. This year, they launched the Leadership Coaches Training Program. They've created a handful of free online courses, including ones focused on leading innovation and inspiring and motivating teams. In addition to these in-person programs and online classes, their website is chock full of tools, case studies, reading lists, and reports. Outside of NAS, Gail has served as a Foundation Program Officer, working on redevelopment and community building in Washington, D.C., She's worked for the Arizona Commission on the Arts, the NEA, and KeyBank. She co-chaired the Community Development Support Collaborative in Washington and served as a senior fellow for the Center for High Impact Philanthropy at the University of Pennsylvania. And once, when Gail and I were attending an event, Justice Sonia Sotomayor snuck up behind us to say hello and thanked us for being there. Without further ado, Gail, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here, Tim and Lauren. Really excited. And I remember that moment to this day so clearly. I'm I'm already distracted. We talked in the (laughs) room about how easily distractible I am. Do you know Sonia Sotomayor? No, it was not. We we do not. But it was an event. I mean, it was an event at the Supreme Court. So it wasn't out of the blue, but and she was hosting it. And at one point in the evening, you're sitting around like event tables and Gail and I are sitting next to each other. And I feel this hand on my shoulder and I turn and it's Justice Sotomayor (laughs) right there saying, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. And we're like, oh, oh, yeah. So that was an amazing moment that Gail and I shared together. That is really, really cool. The legal nerd in me is like a little tingly. Okay. So Gail, I'm really excited to meet you. This is our first time talking and you're in Arlington, but have this sort of bird's eye view or maybe not so high up, but a view of the field and everything that's happening nationally. So how's your community and, and what sort of themes are you hearing from people right now during the pandemic? Wow. can answer that on different levels. I mean, I live in a very dense neighborhood and it's unusual in the fact that it is highly dense, but we don't have any street lights, we don't have any alleyways. And so the, the whole social construct of the community is really interesting. And even in these times of social distancing, we get together out on our porch on our stoops to occasionally yell at each other from a reasonable distance. And that's really been a bright spot in life. To try and recreate that type of situation for our alumni, we've been hosting what we've been calling virtual hugs and inviting folks from previous program years to come back together and talk about what's reality like these days from both an emotional standpoint and from a leadership and kind of practical standpoint, what are they faced with? And we've gotten a whole range of responses there from leaders who are really networked. So if they have a very shared structure, probably somewhat similar to Fraction Atlas, they feel much more connected. And even though they're feeling extreme stress, they feel like it's shared to leaders that are in hierarchical structures that are feeling even more isolated and the stress levels are very high. The other thing that we're noting is that people are in this situation in in very different circumstances, some taking care of their elders, their children, their neighbors or friends, and so they may have much less time to devote to any kind of work situation now that they're working from home. And so life is just so different to others who have more time. It's running the gamut. Yeah. So Tim gave you a lovely bio, but how do you sort of usually introduce yourself in your work? I, myself, I am the granddaughter of farmers. 
and the daughter of a learning disability specialist. She was the first in the family to go to college. I'm curious and I'm persistent. And I'm the proud mother of a now 21-year-old who wants to change the world through politics. So (laughs) that's how I introduce myself personally. Professionally, I am part of an amazing team that is everything from practical, creative, linear, nonlinear. They just represent such a wide variety of views and opinions. And I love that people bring their whole selves to any discussions we have. And so we have a lot of debate. We occasionally disagree. I mean, well, we disagree and we occasionally agree, but it's a great space to be in as a leader and as in the shared leadership. What does it look like right now at NAS WorkWise? Because you were able to work remote before, so there was some flexibility in how you worked, although you have a physical office in Arlington. Have things changed a lot from past couple of weeks work-wise? How do you communicate? What tools are you using? What new things are you finding to be useful, to not useful? Well, I can say a resource for us has been your website. We actually, one of the things that we all did when we flipped to completely virtual is we posted all the resources for Fracture Atlas and Work Shouldn't Suck. So thank you for that. Thanks, um, Okay, yeah. You're right. A lot of us travel. It's so strange not being on the road three out of four weeks in a month, but many of us travel. So we're used to working from home or remotely, but now all of us are working that way. And as I had mentioned before, we all have different circumstances. So we have from homeschooling to a newborn in one of our households to caring for family members. And so it's all different. So we've really had to adjust our collaborative routine. I think each of us have talked about having our own specific routine so that we know kind of when we're working and when we're not, which is different. It feels really different. And then for the collective, we talk about, we share those routines so we know when people are online and when they're not, when they're working and when they're not. And that's just shifted meetings for us. We use Zoom a lot. We're a Slack culture. Well, we don't Slack, but we are a Slack culture. <laughs> well, maybe we do Slack sometimes. And so that's been helpful. We just started using Miro, the whiteboard um, oh, yeah. app. Yeah. So because we're flipping so many programs online and redesigning things, considering what things might look like in the next 12 to 18 months. So it's a great idea space for us as we think about design and we can share it with other partners and collaborators. And that's helpful. That's great. And this like dovetails perfectly with a question that just came in from one of our viewers. Which elements of your leadership development programs do you notice being most used and useful to your cohort in this moment? And how are you reimagining your future programs as a result? Thank you for the question right off the bat here. Thanks, Andrew. It's interesting. So I mentioned a collaboration. We're part of a large collaboration that works in North Dakota, South Dakota, and the Native Nations in that geography. And one of the collaborators is a chief executive program alum. And we were talking the other day, and she was mentioning how she still uses, there's certain tools that come up for her that are incredibly useful. And this particular one was around, is a problem adaptive or is it technical? It's Heifetz work. And so we're hearing that a lot from various folks through the virtual hugs about what's coming back to the forefront. Our pivot in recent years has really been about imagining and managing change. So those tools are pretty darn useful right now. In terms of flipping programs or changing programs, 
whew, two recognitions. One is that some things that were already on track where a group or a cohort has bonded, has met together physically, we kept the program. We just converted it to online because there was a real sense of wanting to get back together. Of course, we changed it. Nobody can stare at a screen for eight hours straight, but we've adapted the model. But what we found is that people wanted to really see each other and see what's going on in each other's lives and learn together, that that had an equalizing or a leveling experience for people. Creative Community Fellows is tougher. The individuals that typically apply to that program are going through so much stress and change right now. Many have lost their jobs, have lost their livelihood. And so we're looking at how better to support alumni, possibly doing more granting, which is part of that program and postponing the new Creative Community Fellows until we can really get our arms around this and what's most useful for the community. In the same vein, earlier you mentioned strategic planning and sort of thinking 18 to 24 months out. How have you shifted sort of the visioning exercises that are always a part of strategic planning? I just feel like Tim talks a lot about the SCARF framework and certainty being a big one. And with there being so much uncertainty, do you find that Is the planning process blocked or do you feel like it's more generative right now? We're living with such ambiguity and uncertainty, as you point out, Lauren. I think sometimes it depends on the day and even the hour and what people are faced with. And when you can make a shift, I think, you know, when you first start living through, depending on the level of crisis or what you're faced with, it's pretty moment to moment. But eventually the horizon opens up. And so what we've been trying to figure out is how both for us, for our team, how to clap eyes on the horizon, how to look up and keep looking up without being disoriented. And then how we can make space standing together with others that are thinking about reimagining the future, how we can use our experience and bring our tools and relationships to bear on that possibility. Gil, from like a how standpoint, what does that look like practically? What things have you found in your previous work that you've been doing with all the cohorts and all the different programs to be useful to people right now to be able to do that? For us internally, we're using a tool. We're using the 30 days tool that rolls forward that talks about priorities, right? And we've restructured our meetings so that there's a level of tactical, just figuring out how we're moving forward. And then there's tactical, practical, and then there's a level of strategy. So we have like a kind of a dreaming, dreaming meetings that we host together. And that's the way we're starting to structure conversations too with our alums and with the field is that there's a need for practical. And if we get through that, and we also can make connections, I need this, I have this, we can connect the two. That's helpful. And then we start to talk about, well, so what does the horizon look like? We know what the immediate is looking like. We know maybe what the intermediate is looking like. And then how might we think about, we facilitate conversations that initially are just about thinking a little bit more long-term when people are ready. And again, can't do it until you're ready. Talk about making connections. One of the, I think it was the inaugural Creative Community Fellows Program. I was a mentor. Tomorrow's guest, Christina Newman-Scott, was a participant. I was there for something that I call luck circles. I don't know if that's actually the the term for them. (laughs) And it's for those who aren't familiar with the term. Yeah, um, I'm like, what is a luck circle? This sounds amazing. I was deeply skeptical. And let me tell you the story. So you put together like five or six people. And part of the idea is that we all have networks. And some of us, our networks overlap 
pretty solidly. Others, the Venn diagram, if you will, doesn't overlap very much. So we have different people in our networks. And the luck circle is you just put something that you need or want or a question into the circle. And the circle sort of comes back with things. And at the time, I was looking to see the Zappos employee handbook. Very Tim Sonova thing. But at the time, Zappos had a graphic novel for their employee handbook. And I was fascinated by it. And I'm like, all right, so I'm just going to mention it. And I'm like, you know, we'll see what happens. And someone's like, yeah, so my nephew just got a job there. Let me text him and see if it's possible to see. I'm like, wow, that's cool. And then the next person gets up and says, yeah, so I'm getting married in the fall. And I might be getting some of the details wrong here, but I'm getting married in the fall. And my fiance and I are looking for a beach location for our honeymoon. We're getting married in Europe. Does anyone have a place where we could go? And I'm like, well, this is pretty far-fetched. Like, nothing's going to happen with this one. (laughs) And someone was like, would you consider going to Egypt? And they're like, yeah, sure. He's like, well, my cousin has a place. Let me just get in touch with them. And I'm like, what the? And like, my mind just (laughs) exploded at that. And then you go around this circle. You're like, there's no way that anything's going to happen here. And then you just start to see the group working. And it's like, well, have you considered this? And let's do that. And it was every time I've done it as part of that program, something comes up and I'm like, no, there's there's no way that that's going to be solved in this or addressed here. And it's just a magical experience every time that, that just amazes me. And I'm so thankful for being there for that experience because I need some of those things in life, I think, to counter my deep skepticism yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do love that Tim is a total skeptic. <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. To I be was questioning. Yeah. I was, I mean, even in an organization that's gone remote, Tim was like one of our last holdouts <laughs> as he led the thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and we were talking to some, one of our guests and I was fairly certain that Tim would be like, if it wasn't for a broken ankle and a pandemic, like Tim would still be <laughs> at the Fraction Atlas office. And an expired lease on our office. Yeah. I just keep showing up with yeah, like, the just, next people. Yeah, they kick you out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Gail, did, did I get the luck circle right? Or is there something yeah. I missed in the description that you'd like participants to take away? It's based on the idea of the science of luck. Richard Weissman, I believe it was in the UK, who figured out that you can actually, if you, the luck is more of a science than we'd imagine. And really how people get lucky is to, which could really be taken, okay, is to ask for what they need and to ask outside their networks, the normal Mm -hmm. networks. So we are actually, that's one of the things that's moving into the online programming now and trying to make connections is we'll be doing some virtual luck circles. Nice. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. One of the, you know, I do a fair amount of like sort of working people to build their fundraising chops. And so many people are so uncomfortable asking for, for one, really understanding everything they need or everything that could be helpful to advance whatever they're trying to do, but then just asking for it. And I think just creating the space for people to just explicitly say, this is a space for you to ask for things can be really powerful. So that's really cool. And you can imagine even now, you know, more in this time, some people, again, have more time and some have less. And so there could be some space where people feel more productive to be able to be part of the luck circles. I think there's also something there, too, with the conversations we've been having around. What does this become? How do we as a community adapt, change what resources exist outside of the cultural sector that would be quite useful for the cultural sector? But because we're the cultural sector you don't think it applies. And I think 
looking at these overlapping Venn diagrams and seeing where resources are, where help is and where people have solved the problem, if you will, in some cases, how can this be a part of the conversation and be a part of creating the world that we want to live in where more people can thrive, where everyone can thrive, hopefully. I think that's a useful frame to think about. We're working on a decision tree now. I don't know that it will work out the way we'd imagined, but the thought around it was to create, it's almost an, an empathy tool. In the pandemic, some people have more time, some people have less time. Some people are overwhelmed with screen time, but need more social time. So there's a lot of kind of branches to the tree. And if we can potentially outline the tree that people can populate it. So a leadership team or a community, it might be useful in building empathy about, well, who's going through what at what time and what might be great resources for them at that point. I do think this time has been one of the cool things has been just seeing people be really explicit about what they need in a way that like, I actually can't talk on Zoom anymore. or whatever the thing is, it's forcing us to really be clear with our colleagues where we can sometimes stay in that polite zone. And being able to say no, like I'm having people say no to things that are usually kind of yes people. But that decision tree kind of reminds me of our personal handbook or our user manuals, Tim. Yeah. And we've been iterating on it on different teams in the organization. But those who are unfamiliar, the idea is there's several questions that people would answer about when you do your best work, when you do your writing work, or what are your pet peeves, or what do you really value in teamwork? And it's a way, I think increasingly and importantly, for those who have never worked together in 3D to share. We each have this, and then you can share it with Lauren, and Lauren can read mine, I can read hers, and you can understand, oh, right, Lauren doesn't want anyone to talk to her before 10 a.m. her time, or 8 a.m., whatever it might be. Or the best way to get something done is to use Slack versus Zoom or email. And I think it's not a perfect tool, but I think it fills in some of be explicit. It fills in some of the gaps that you might learn about people over time. And when you work in an office with them, just over here and, and you learn those things. And I think an explicit tool that people can have to sort of speed up that learning process is useful, especially as we hire people at Fracture Atlas who we might not meet in person for a year. And how might we fill in those gaps in different ways. So yeah, the user manual exists in in a lot of different formats. And we've used actually, Tim, some of your questions over the years too, when we hire and try and acculturate people. It's the way, because a culture doesn't necessarily, people adapt to a culture, but also they change the culture. And so it's really helped us be more, I think, explicit about that. I think you're right. The architecture of a culture and the way people work when you have a physical space versus when you don't, big change. Well, and one of our previous guests was saying, what even when you're interviewing people, you know, if you're interviewing for mm-hmm. a role and you think it's in person, you might be asking different questions than you would if it's an entirely virtual role. And as candidates, we would be weighing different things about, can I work that way? Can I not work that way? And I think what a lot of us are dealing with is like, all of a sudden, the chips have just been thrown up and there's a lot of moving pieces and people are finding out that it might not be what they thought. Plus, as you've mentioned earlier, just life is happening and uncertainty and other commitments and how when life and work are all of a sudden sometimes seem one in the yeah. same makes that even more challenging. Also, what's important to know about NAS is we are very privileged. There are no furloughs. There are no layoffs. We can keep the staff team whole for a number of months. And we're stepping out of the funding stream. We don't need it as much as others. And so it feels most appropriate, our team felt, to step back in this yeah. time. 
Gail, you were instrumental in the NAS transition from the National Arts Stabilization Fund to National Arts Strategies. You've been a part of a lot of different collaborations, thinking to the future where it's likely organizations are going to be exploring acquisitions, mergers, collaborations, certainly transformations and, and change. What do you think is important for leaders to keep in mind as they're going through this with their teams and organizations? There are quite a few frameworks out there to think about the give and get, the way you actually collaborate. There's also frameworks around thinking about the difference in cultures of organizations, if it's established organizations that are collaborating. But one of the things I find that I have to keep relearning in a way as a leader and part of the collaboration is the clarity of roles, which is incredibly important. The passion for the horizon, what it, the definition of that horizon and what you're all working towards is the first thing. Clarity of roles is probably second. But the fact that there'll be times where it does get messy and times where your emotions will come into play or you'll react in a way that you might react inside of your organization, but not with the collaborative. And so having that recognition about what's appropriate behaviors at what point and the generosity of spirit I think it takes to be in a collaborative has been really a wonderful experience for us at NAS and certainly for me personally and the collaborations I've been part of. One of the things I've been thinking about, well, as a student of politics for the last, you know, since Trump was elected, really, but has been this struggle between federal regulations and how states are behaving. And we're seeing so many states behave like their own countries. And yesterday I was reading that, like, all the states on the Western part of the U.S. have sort of banded together to say, like, we're going to open up when we're ready to open up and not when the federal government says so this is going to be like the next thing I'm going to be watching. Like, it's a tabloid show. It's totally into it. Like, who's going to win? But for the cultural sector, it strikes me that there's going to be a point in time when leaders are going to have to figure out when their organizations get back to normal, like whatever normal is, there's going to be this like state say we can go out and hang out again. And then you're going to have staff members who might be immunocompromised or just not comfortable being out. Do you have any sort of thoughts for leaders as we try to navigate? We're going to be getting all of these different sorts of directives. Can you talk a little bit about what you're thinking about or have you started thinking about how NAS gets back to life as normal, whatever normal is going to be? Well, that's the question, right? We could hazard a guess that it's going to be messy economically and structurally. And as we've touched on, and I've heard you speak with others on the show, I think it's really, there's a powerful opportunity inside of this. Now, how we structure the process to get there is an interesting question. But the powerful opportunity is to imagine a future and a roadmap. And when I say a roadmap, it's not a single one, because a lot of people will have different paths to getting there but towards a more equitable future, a, a more equitable structures for people and planet. And that's the positive future we know is possible. And so I think it's that, it's that interesting coordination, if you will, like state and federal in some ways, it's yeah. not happening. But my idea doesn't have to match your idea, but that we hold similar values and are aiming towards similar things and are in communication. So if you think about network theory as potentially being useful in conversations, linking ideas together, not as best practice necessarily, but more as information on the directions that a group of people or community are moving towards. We've heard from any number of our alumni that they feel like the change will happen geographically specific, locally first, and then have kind of a ripple effect of some sort. So this is something we're turning our energies to now is to how to stand with others, because we know like Fractured Atlas and several others, you're thinking about what could be the future. How might we create these 
spaces for people to be creative and practical. Gail, as we pivot to our final question, I just wanted to highlight a comment from one of our viewers. Thanks, Gail. Such wise and generous ideas you have shared with us today. Totally agree. As we land the plane, what are your parting thoughts for us? I so appreciate the space for this conversation and the two of you for organizing this. Thank you. I think in this moment in time, it's important that we be kind to ourselves. And I think that's often difficult in an interesting way. And so just to be kind, to continue to look for possibility and hope and to stay connected and to be brave. Great. Gail, always wonderful spending time yeah, with this you. Is great. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you both. Great to be here. Continue the Work Shouldn't Suck Live adventure with us on our next episode when we're joined by Christina Newman-Scott, president of Brooklyn's Brick. Miss us in the meantime, you can download more Work Shouldn't Suck episodes from your favorite podcasting platform of choice and rewatch Work Shouldn't Suck Live episodes over on workshouldn'tsuck.co. If you've enjoyed the conversation or are just feeling generous today, please consider writing a review on iTunes so that others who might be interested in the topic can join the fun too. Give it a thumbs up or five stars or phone a friend, whatever your podcasting platform of choice offers. If you didn't enjoy this chat, please tell someone about it who you don't like as much. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.